the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed. They checked my ID at the door and said, yep, looks like you. Well, a little chubbier, perhaps. A little grayer. A lot chubbier, Jarrell says. Oh, boy. Yes, indeed. So I guess that's me. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a great week. It is Thursday. We're here at the 26th of October. We lead into another edition of Lifeline for you. On this edition, we're going to start out with discussion about cold and flu season. You're going to think, Wait a minute, Craig. It's 90 degrees out today, and, and, and we don't see any relief, certainly into the weekend. Uh, unusually warm, um, ongoing Indian summer weather here in the Bay Area, as we traditionally enjoy at least through September. So it, it seems kind of hard to wrap your mind around the notion that before you know it, the wonderful balmy temperatures that we have been enjoying will soon be a thing of the past, and cold and flu season will be down upon us, no doubt, with a vengeance. And Every year, people are out sick. Kids take time off of school because of it. Parents are wrestling with being sick themselves, caring for sick children. And you have to wonder, do we really have to go through all of this? Can we better manage our health in a fashion that, if not preventing um, our reaction to things like the flu and certainly the common cold, at least would help to, to reduce the exposure? Well, my guest tonight is indeed going to give us some insights to just that. She is a retired pediatrician for Mount Zion Center at UCSF Benehoff Children's Hospital. And we're always delighted to have Dr. Jane Anderson join us on the program. And, uh, Doctor, a warm, balmy fall afternoon to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Kind of funny to talk about cold and flu season when it's still 90 degrees out, but I would suspect within a week or two uh, it's going to feel a lot more like fall and and with it the intending cold and flu season. Maybe you can start by just educating us on some of the basics. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to be told by my mother, button up, it's cold outside, and if you uh, go out in the cold, you'll catch a cold. But is that really how we catch a cold? Well, it's interesting because for a long time, the scientists said, no, you know, being cold doesn't give you a cold. But there is some evidence that when um, the little cells in, in your nose are, um, are exposed to colder temperatures, they are more susceptible than to um, having viruses sort of attached to them. So in a sense, yes, when it's cold out, maybe you're more susceptible to a virus. But now, in recent years, we've heard more about the need to be concerned of being in close indoor quarters, um, a lot of recyclated, uh, re- recirculated air, because we don't want to be uh, driving up the heating bill, bringing in outside cold air. And we tend to be kind of gathered in, in closer contact with each other. There are fewer outdoor activities and more indoor activities. And I would wonder if all of that close contact helps to speed along the progress of spreading the virus. Oh, that's exactly right. So most of the respiratory viruses are spread 
through air droplets. So we sneeze and we spread the virus that way. And so when you're um, spending more time indoors, in close quarters, you know, um, children in a classroom, yes, that absolutely predisposes, you know, more people to become more easily infected. I want to spend some time talking about some of the preventative measures that we should be taking and teaching our children as well. But before we get to that, I need to have you address kind of the big elephant in the room, um, perhaps one of the the biggest mysteries, if not um, myths, when it comes to flu season in particular. And it's funny, I, I was at a uh, a dinner gathering just this past Saturday, and the issue of cold and flu season happened to come up, and somebody turned to me and said, you don't get a flu shot every year, do you? In somewhat of a um, mildly condescending tone, <laughs> hoping to perhaps confirm that I'm not one of those crazy people, and I answered in the affirmative, well, in fact, yes, I do, and and, and have regularly done so um, since I entered into my fifth decade. And I, I do so because it seems to be sound advice, and yet there's a lot of people out there that somehow think if you get a flu shot, you're going to increase your risk of catching the flu, which seems to be counterintuitive. Well, I think it's be- there's several reasons for that, I think. First of all, um, it is incorrect that if you get the flu vaccine, you're more likely to get the flu. Um, It is true that some years, some of the strains uh, that are in the vaccines might be more likely to cause a little bit of a fever um, or achiness, uh, you know, for the first 24 hours after receiving the vaccine. But that's not, you didn't get the flu from the vaccine. Um, And the other reason people might be hesitant is because some years um, they don't do a good job of matching the strains in the vaccine with the strains that are circulating. They try. What they do is they're looking, um, they look at Southeast Asia in the springtime. So it's their winter, and they look at Southeast Asia, and they look at the strains that are circulating, and then they try to match our vaccine that they're making over the summer for our use in the fall. So they really have to be, they're not they're not being responsive, they're actually being sort of predictive then exactly. when it comes to the formulation of the vaccine, and sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. Exactly, and so if the strains match very well, then the vaccine is obviously more protective. If there are strains that are circulating that are not in the vaccine, then you might become um, a little ill and then people say, well, the vaccine didn't work. Well, in fact, it did, but it just doesn't pre- prevent all the different strains of the virus. How potentially serious can this be? And I, and I pose that question, Dr. Anderson, with the caveat that my great-grandfather, who immigrated from Italy in 1908, succumbed to the 1918 flu virus. Wow. So I know that Historically, when we hear about the great influenza outbreak, one that impacted Europe, another one here in the United States, 1918, as I mentioned, that it can be a serious thing. And yet these days, there's almost sort of a flippant attitude about the flu that, well, if you get it, you'll ride it out, you'll get a week at home, a lot of chicken soup, and you'll get over it. How serious can this potentially be? Well, the, the true influenza, I think that's the other um, thing that happens is that people often confuse a mild uh, runny nose virus, you know, just a regular upper respiratory infection, uh, a cold, a cough, with true influenza. And true influenza 
um, can be very, very serious, just like you said. And it is especially um, dangerous for children less than six months of age, and even young children less than two, but especially less than six months of age. And then um, people, <clears throat> as we get older, um, senior citizens are more at risk. Um, and that's because our immune systems don't work quite as well. So I think there are many things that we can do to prevent illness, um, but I agree with you. The first one is vaccinate. And because we can't give the flu vaccine to children less than six months of age, for all those people out there who have babies in their home, it's really important that the adults and the older children are vaccinated because then they are much less likely to bring those germs home um, to the young baby who's too young to get vaccinated. And I guess if we think about it, though, it might be for some years since they've had a true bout of flu. But when you have it, it, it can be painful. It can be debilitating, to be sure. Uh, in a lot of cases, I recollect my last time with it was probably eight or ten years ago. And it was one of the most miserable nine days of my life. And it, you just feel as if you've got every ounce of energy completely drained from your body. So uh, maybe we don't experience it often enough to keep us mindful that it can be extremely debilitating, life-threatening, as you point out, if you you have a compromised immune system, you're up in years, you're lower in years. And so it sounds like the solid advice is that it would be particularly wise for those that are in some of those riskier categories, um, meaning older folks, to get the flu vaccine. Absolutely. And I'll just add into that anybody who has underlying lung problems like asthma, they should all be vaccinated. I mean, basically, everybody should be vaccinated, but there are people who are at higher risk. So the very young, the very old, those who have known immune compromising diseases and then those with lung diseases like um, asthma because most of the not all the deaths but most of the deaths from influenza are respiratory Um, it uh, kills the cells in the lungs and then the lungs aren't able to aerate and you know we die so it's really yes vaccinate please (laughs) yeah things that end in and we die (laughs) you need to pay important attention to right you're paying attention to dr jane anderson retired pediatrician at mount zion center for um, children their ucsf benahoff children's hospital we're talking about the cold and flu season if you've tuned in a bit late you're thinking Craig, it, I'm, I'm running the air conditioning today. It's 90 degrees out where I'm at. What do you mean cold and flu season? Well, it will be upon us before you know it. And when it arrives, you want to make sure that you are properly prepared for it. One of the things we're doing today with Dr. Anderson is not only um, helping you understand some of the methods you need to take to be ready for cold and flu season, but also dispelling some of the myths one of the issues that we'll talk about when we come back from a brief time out is whether or not, and men people say this all the time, so, well, you know, if I catch a cold, no problem. The minute I start to feel the sniffles coming on, I'm just going to load up on lots of vitamin C and zinc, and that'll, boom, take care of it right away. That along with a good dose of mother's chicken soup, right? How true is all of that? We'll talk about megadosing of vitamin C and zinc to treat a cold and more as our conversation with Dr. Jane Anderson continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program on this Thursday, 26th of October, and while the weather is still a balmy upper 80s, uh, in fact, what is it right now? Let's take a look here in San Francisco. The current weather is, stand by for news. Oh, wrong button, Mr. Roberts. Current temperature in San Francisco, can that be? 
85 degrees in San Francisco and 90 in San Jose. Wow. So you're probably not thinking about cold and flu season, yet it shall be upon us before we know it. The big question is, are you ready? Some insights with Dr. Jane Anderson on the very topic. Now, one of the things that I've heard people say ad nauseum down through the years is, well, they're not overly concerned about getting a cold, because when they do, by golly, they just load up on plenty of mega doses of vitamin C and zinc, and before you know it, they're back to good health again. In fact, they're feeling great in about a week, and I <laughs> have to wonder, is that psychosocial? Somatic, or doesn't that week time period kind of cycle with the normal recovery period if you just got a cold and did nothing? Right. Well, let me first of all differentiate for everybody. So when we talk about the common cold or a viral URI, as you might hear your doctor say, upper respiratory infection, um, usually caused by rhinovirus or metanumaviruses, that is not influenza. So what, the information I'm going to give you about vitamin C and zinc is for the common cold, the upper respiratory infection, it is not for influenza. So there's a difference. So um, for the common cold, um, there have been lots of studies um, looking at the uh, impact of vitamin C. And, um, and there's a little conflict in the literature. Um, most of the studies show a mild reduction in the duration of the cold. Um, but then when they actually tried to replicate those studies and give it to people who already had colds, eh, was, wasn't sure that it worked. Um, and zinc um, does seem to be beneficial um, when it's given at the onset of a cold. Um, so taking zinc orally in the different formulations that it comes um, may actually shorten the duration of symptoms. But again, we're talking about um, URIs, upper respiratory infections, not influenza. And is this something, doctor, that you have to jump on right away? In other words, catch it on the leading edge within the first, say, 24 hours in order for well, it to really be effective? The, yeah, that's what the studies are looking at. And so, again, a little bit of conflict in the literature, but on vitamin C, um, it seems to work if it's going to work, it seems to work better for people who, interestingly, are uh, undergoing severe physical exercise. So people who are um, athletes or doing a lot of construction work or something, they might uh, benefit more than sort of the average person. But again, a little bit of conflict in the literature, but may be helpful and zinc may also be helpful. Clearly in both cases, whether we're talking about the common cold or influenza, prevention is the old saying, prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, Let's talk a bit about that from both standpoints. Um, We alluded earlier to the notion that during the winter season, we tend to be indoors more. We're going to holiday gatherings in closer proximity, things of this sort. Uh, We're recycling a lot of indoor air. People are traveling on these big flying tubes in the air with, you know, (laughs) tight confines where you jam 325 people all together for four hours. And so we see an uptick in the spread of these types of uh, illnesses. And so let's talk a bit about, well, what can we be doing to, if not prevent, at least reduce our risk? Clearly, when it comes to influenza, for those in the appropriate categories, getting the flu shot early on is an important first step. But what else? Well, I'm a huge, there are definitely things we can do to prevent ourselves from getting sick. And so uh, one is, um, obviously, we're going to wash hands frequently, but if you're going to wash them, you have to do it properly. 
Um, I'm a big fan of probiotics. Um, my husband and I take them. I recommend them to other people. There's really very little harm except the expenditure of money. Um, but the studies on probiotics actually show, especially in children, they've done studies on children in daycare centers, that the children who were supplemented with probiotics were less likely to get true influenza and so, and maybe less likely to get some um, colds too. So I think probiotics um, is great for children and adults. Help us um, with some definitions here, because I've heard people, including myself on this list, get confused. They say, well, if you get really sick, go see the doctor. The doctor will give you antibiotics. And now you're ta- telling me to take probiotics. So are we for or against them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on what we're talking about. So um, antibiotics are, work against bugs, and they only work against bacteria. So they don't work against viruses. Now, there are some antivirals that do work against influenza, um, that if you end up with true influenza, your doctor may give to you if you get to him or her within the first 24 or 48 hours. Um, But when we talk about antibiotics, that is uh, a medication that will work to kill bacteria. So that, no antibiotics for runny noses, colds, and coughs unless there's a complication where a bacteria has come in on top of the virus and caused something like an ear infection or pneumonia. Okay, and Um, and that's important, I think, distinction, because we also hear cases of people who, uh, and I've never quite understood this, but will come down with the early signs of flu or a cold and run off to go to the emergency room. Yeah, probably not a great idea unless they are having respiratory breathing problems. Um, or they've been sick for longer than three to four days um, because they're just going to be spreading that to all the people who are there in the emergency room. And at the end of the day, as you're suggesting, except with the exception of the cases where it has moved into a, a significant respiratory problem like pneumonia, there's not much the doc is going to give you, is there? That's right. And the, the way people can tell... Um, you know, this isn't 100%, so, you know, don't hold me to this, but one of the ways, especially for children, to know, you know, is there fever and cough, you know, serious and I need to go to the ER, you want to know, are they staying hydrated? Are they able to, you know, keep themselves hydrated by drinking, you know, water and fluids? Are they breathing comfortably in between the coughing? Are they breathing nice and calm and slowly, or are they having difficulty breathing? They're struggling. They're, you know, pull, their their uh, chest is pulling in. They're making funny sounds when they breathe. Those things would obviously say, "Whoops, get to the doctor." But if they're hydrated, they're breathing comfortably in between coughing, and they have a little bit of a wake alert time where they can sort of look at you and smile and do some of their normal little activities, they're probably doing okay. And always call into your physician's office or your advice nurse first because they'll be able to walk you through should you bring your child in or should you come in or not. Okay, now underscore, if you would, a bit more for us, doctor, then on the probiotic side of the equation. So probiotics are um, sort of the good bacteria, and we all have bacteria throughout our um, GI system especially and in our respiratory system, but the probiotics um, actually sort of are the good, the good bacteria that help us maintain our equilibrium, our biostasis, so to speak. And um, we can take additional... So sometimes when doctors prescribe antibiotics, 
it's good to take probiotics too. So because antibiotics are going to kill everything in your GI tract, but you want some of those good bacteria so you can give them back to yourself. Um, but then you can also just take it as a regular supplement. Um, like I said, we take ours daily, and it has been shown to decrease um, uh, upper respiratory infections and influenza when it's been studied, especially in daycare centers. So um, you have this is not taking a lot of yogurt. This is that's not how you take probiotics. If you're going to do it, you do it right, and you have to go um, to one of your drug stores or big stores and get you know um, the real get a pill that has real probiotics. And for children, they make it in powder. There is a list of appropriate do's and don'ts that are applicable across the board to reducing the spread of both cold and flu during this season. And we're going to get to that list in just a moment. Doctor, can you stay with us a couple of more minutes? Sure. Fantastic. Dr. Jane Anderson is with us tonight. We are talking about cold and flu season, some important things that you need to know as a parent, as a person, to um, reduce the risk for yourself, your children, and quite frankly, hopefully, enjoy a healthier, happier winter and Christmas holiday season. We'll get to some of those perennial do's and don'ts coming up in just a moment. Right now, though, we've got a look at real live traffic here. And back over at the KFAX Traffic Center, Erica Cato has got the latest. Erica. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Dr. Jane Anderson is with us in this segment of Lifeline. We've been talking about cold and flu season and, of course, some of the important things you need to do on the preventative side of things before you get sick. Right? Nobody wants to be sick when there's holiday gatherings going on and all kinds of fun stuff that you don't want to miss by being stuck at home in bed. And we, as your fellow family members, fellow employees at all, really don't want to share your bug either. So what do we do to help reduce our risk, not only to ourselves, but to others? Let's talk about some of those sort of kind of common sense good practices that we were taught as a kid, doctor, that oddly by the time we reach adult life, we sometimes forget about. Yep, so let's go. So we've talked about vaccinating, we've talked about probiotics, and then um, let me just mention, um, everybody should eat breakfast um, with good protein in it, eggs, cheese, um, peanut butter, whatever, but a good breakfast with with protein actually um, helps rev up your immune system. Fruits and vegetables do the same thing, so eating healthy actually helps, does help keep you healthy. Um, And then don't forget washing hands. And if we're going to wash our hands, we want to teach the kids to do it and when to do it. So always before eating, after using the toilet. And if at school they could do it after recess, that would be great because they're touching all sorts of stuff outside and um, be great to wash their hands before they come in. And um, washing hands means you wet your hands, you lather up with soap, you scrub, and you scrub um, for kids, have them sing happy birthday twice. That'll get them the amount of time that they're supposed to be scrubbing and washing. And then rinse and drying. And it's actually, drying with a paper towel is actually really good because that friction helps pull off some of the bacteria too. So um, washing hands well. 
And people talk about using um, the hand sanitizer and leaving it around the house and using it as you go from room to room and everything. I just be really careful of that if you've got young children around. Um, there is alcohol in most of those hand sanitizers, and if a child ingests it, it can be dangerous. So if you're going to use your hand sanitizer, that's fine. Just keep it up away from the younger children. And we've heard sometimes, well, you know, we're kind of doing harm to ourselves by overdoing it with the hand sanitizer. What's your opinion on that, Doctor? Well, it, not really. Um, I mean, the doctors have to use it a lot, you know, at the hospital and nurses. And I will say one doctor was uh, reported by a patient for smelling like alcohol. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> And it was only because he'd been using so much hand sanitizer. Um, you know, moderate. I always say moderation in all things. So when I go into rooms with patients, I like to wash my hands in front of them. One, they see me doing it. Two, I'm not having to use the alcohol, you know, hand sanitizer. Um, and so I think, you know, whenever you can wash your hands, it's probably better to do that. But when you can't, the hand sanitizer is fine. What about things like um, disinfecting with bleach or uh, my grandmother's favorite choice was always Lysol spray. Lysol. If you uh-huh. had a cold uh, and you started to sneeze and so forth about the house, boy, she'd, she'd send you off to bed with plenty of chicken soup and out would come the Lysol. And anywhere you'd been near doorknobs, counter surfaces, all of that got a good uh, spray down. Is that really effective? And how often should we do that, uh, particularly maybe when we're in an active environment, say, a business office and people are coming and going all day long and they're touching the coffee maker and uh, doorknobs and things of that sort? Well, that's a good question, um, Craig, and I really don't have like a scientific answer for it. Um, I would say, again, moderation. So if you can do it when you go into your desk in the morning and wipe your desk down and maybe before you eat lunch, you know, if you're going to eat lunch at your desk, you know, do that. Um, but I, most people are too busy. I'm, I mean, I I was a busy mom of four, and so I never did that. Um, so that's just true confessions. I mean, I, I find it hard to tell somebody to do something that I didn't do. <laughs> um, now, I will tell you, when I go on airplanes, I like to take um, those wipes with me and wipe down the seat and the tray because there's been so much, so many different people flying there, and they don't really clean them between flights. And so... For me, and when you're going on an airplane, that's a great time to sort of use your Lysol wipes. And a lot of us will be traveling over the holiday season, again, close quarters. And I, I've read a, a study here not that long ago um, where they went in and did testing in several different common public areas, public bathroom, the restroom aboard the airplane, and mm. the uh, tray table and, and seat arms and found a level of bacteria that included all kinds of ugly bugs like E. coli E. coli, and other things that were just teeming on those surfaces. And you think about people that sit there and they sneeze and they touch their the yep. tray table and they run and they rub their eyes and they're in an airplane for five hours and you try to pretend like it's your living room even though you know it isn't. And at the end of the day, the capacity to catch something from just repeated contact with those surfaces, I guess, really does underscore the idea that pulling out some of those um, sanitizing wipes and just giving that tray a good rub down and the yeah. seat arms good, because as you point out, 
If we think they're cleaning the plane that oh. thoroughly between flight to flight, we're no. in for a big surprise. Yes, they are definitely not, and you're right. And they have done those studies, and so it is one. I mean, people will look at you like you're a little weird. They've looked at me a little weird, um, but I think that's fine. Um, I think I'd rather do that than get sick. So um, let me just mention one other thing. It's not talked about too much. But there are a few studies that say um, actually vitamin D supplementation um, may help decrease um, illness. It's a vitamin D is an anti-inflammatory vitamin and helps prevent a lot of illnesses. A lot of people who, um, well, let me just say children who have asthma, if they're vitamin D deficient, they're going to have more exacerbations of their asthma, and so. Um, again, I know a lot of doctors will, won't go this way, but I will. I think um, I like children and adults on a multivitamin. And during flu season, if you have a child or you yourself are at uh, risk for asthma, um, upping your dose of vitamin D I think makes sense. And um, it's very hard to overdose on vitamin D. You can take thousands of units of vitamin D without overdosing. So the normal uh, in a vitamin is about 400 units. And the studies that have looked at does vitamin D decrease um, URIs and influenza, the dose was 1,200 units. So um, I think it's one more thing to think about along with, you know, possibly the zinc. And encouraging your kids. I mean, uh, there's little tricks that we can do. Certainly sending them to, uh, to bed without supper can be sometimes effective. How do we encourage the kids about the seriousness of all of this when it comes to things like covering their mouths when they sneeze, make sure to wash their hands frequently throughout the day? Any, any thoughts and tips from both the perspective of a pediatrician and a mother on that? Well, it's really just role modeling. You know, I mean, I think that's the main thing. Okay, we're getting ready to eat dinner. Let's all go wash our hands. Oh, you've just used the bathroom. Time to wash your hands. Um, and by the way, they've done, uh, they did a great study um, actually in Pakistan where they were looking at children who obviously get more serious illnesses um, in, in that country. But they, in, once, in several schools, they just taught the kids to wash their hands several times a day. And in another school, they didn't. And the children who were in the school where they washed their hands several times a day had like half the amount of the illnesses that, as the kids in the other school. So it really does work. And so if parents would like not to miss work, um, it's great to encourage your kids to wash your hands. And you're going to have to tell them, you know, for the older kids, remember to do it at school. Whether they do or not, not sure. But at least you can role model it at home and encourage them. And again, the more that you do that, the healthier they're going to be, and hopefully the healthier your entire family is going to be. Dr. Jane Anderson, we appreciate, as always, Dr. Anderson, your time and your valuable insights. Welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. There's Dr. Jane Anderson, retired pediatrician who served for many years at the Mount Zion Center of UCSF's Benehoff Children's Hospital with some insights on uh, how to make it a happier, healthier winter season. Even though it doesn't seem like winter is around the corner, it's we're actually in fall. Can you believe that? Hard to believe, isn't it? I guess the trees losing their leaves is one of the signs. Certainly the weather, though, hasn't been it. Um, another sign that you can never use as an indicator of anything uh, is traffic, uh, other than there's a lot of it. And let's get a look at how much there is right now on your Thursday ride home. Erica Cato's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Erica. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. How many believers today, maybe, maybe privately you might even admit this for yourself, you can tell people what you believe, you just can't tell them why. We're going to talk a bit about that today as we meet a very special guest, certainly a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He's heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. here on KFAX, senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland and Alistair. Great to have you on the program. Thank you, Craig. It's very kind of you, and uh, it's, a, it's a treat always to talk with you. My goodness, 30 years. Uh, <laughs> the Lord has done some amazing things over the course of the last three decades. Could, could you ever have imagined when you came from uh, Scotland with your, your wife and young family all that time ago that, that the Lord would have taken you in this direction? No, I, I honestly couldn't. And uh, it seems in some ways as though it was only yesterday. Time has gone by so quickly, as you say. And yet uh, these have been great and privileged years. And I really wouldn't want to change very much about them at all. It's been a peculiar joy to, uh, first of all, serve this congregation and have them be so long-suffering as to put up with me for three decades. And uh, <laughs> and then the radio program on top of that is a, is a, is a wonderful opportunity that uh, we certainly are uh, humbled by and don't take for granted. Well, and we don't take it for granted either, Alistair, because I think uh, many of us um, recognize the importance for a ministry such as yours that in in the 30 years has moved, I think, consistently and critically so, more and deeper into the arena of a, a Christian apologetics, of which, my goodness, if there was ever a day and time when we needed Christians to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within, this is it. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I was listening to your introductory comments, and uh, I, I agree with you entirely. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the fault, if there if there is an inadequate preparation on the part of uh, uh, Christian people, uh, a lot of the fault has to lie with those of us who are pastors, because our role is to prepare God's people for works of ministry, and uh, part of the ministry is the ministry of proclamation and. Uh, so uh, we don't want to chide ourselves too much, but we take seriously the peculiar challenges that are represented uh, in uh, the culture here in America, particularly in, and expressly so just in the last few days. Well, and certainly, you know, I think all of us perhaps begrudgingly can agree that there have been um, areas lacking in the modern-day American pulpit. But that said, the people in the pews have to take a little bit of responsibility to this, too. And I think about uh, a wonderful focus that you bring. I was just going through the pages of um, the book that you've co-authored with Sinclair Ferguson, Name Above All Names. And I just, for the benefit of the audience, let me just quote um, a couple of opening lines here. Alistair writes, Jesus Christ has been given the name above all names. The names assigned to him begin in Genesis, end in Revelation. Taken together, they express the incomparable character of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Reflecting on them better prepares us to respond to the exhortations of Scripture, to focus our gaze upon him, and to meditate on how great he is. Then Alistair continues, Being able to think long and lovingly about the Lord Jesus is a dying art. The disciplines required to reflect on him for a prolonged period of time and to be captivated by him have been relegated to a secondary place in contemporary Christian life. Action, rather than meditation, is the order of the day. Sadly, too often that action is not suffused with the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Boy, if anything could, could handily sum up 
some of what we see in the trends taking place in in the church in specific and in our society at large that that certainly summarizes it well yeah i think it's a <laughs> i think it sounds so good i'm pretty sure that must be sinclair <laughs> <laughs> But it's right on the mark because we we don't ponder the word the way we used to. No. And to reflect on Jesus Christ, to sit and imagine spending hours just pondering about the amazing gift of God's grace that, that God would be so passionate about his love for the creation that had nevertheless offended him so, and yet still he was willing to send his only begotten son to die on our behalf. Such a greater love mankind has never known. And and I think that observation in name above all names is right on the mark that we've, it, we've lost the capacity or the desire or the heartbeat to want to ponder and study on that. And I imagine if we would recapture that ability, how the church could turn the world upside down. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, if you take the average person coming to church, they're, they're not asking the question, where is Jesus? They're asking, where am I? Mm. And uh, there's a sort of man-centered orientation to even the study of Scripture and even the way in which uh, the Bible is taught that sort of reinforces notions that are you know, sort of immediately appealing, but they don't have any long-lasting value. They're not going to stand uh, in the in the challenges of, of uh, time when a culture as, as ours turns increasingly secular and uh, the Christian church begins to uh, face the challenge of living as a minority uh, in, in the culture, which has not been uh, part and parcel of the American psyche, at, at least until this point in time. How much of this really pivots on the church, its strength, its understanding of God's Word, its ability to make disciples when we talk about the direction or the condition of, of culture and society at large? Well, you know, church history makes it fairly clear, I think, Craig, that uh, that the collapse of the church has always been internal. You know, it, it has always been able to handle the, the challenges of persecution, the blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. And when the prevailing drift on the outside has been at its most intense, uh, then the people of God have rediscovered who they are, what God expects of them, and they've they've rallied to the challenge. Um, but but the real danger is the the danger of a sort of internal uh, erosion and a, a collapse in confidence, a loss of confidence in the in the relevance and in the truth and in the power of the good news itself and. Again, many many people who pay lip service to to Jesus uh, will be uh, really uh, struggling to to stand up to the, the the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus. That there is only one name by which men and women may be saved, and that is in the name of Jesus. And the the, the drift in culture in in our um, uh, sort of deconstructed use of language and our understanding of history is so dominant that uh, it, it's absolutely imperative that uh, those who profess the name of Christ uh, really dig in and understand just what it means for them to be in union with Christ and what a man in, uh, or a, mo- a woman in Christ really is. 
If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Pastor Alistair Begg with us on the program. He, of course, is the host of Truth For Life, heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, more of our conversation, we dig down into the baseline importance of what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ as our conversation with Pastor Alistair Begg continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 